My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Josh Swade is a documentary filmmaker who has directed films for ESPN, Showtime, Rolling Stone Films, and Disney XD, among others. He's also a self-described, fanatically crazed, insane nutjob for the Kansas Jayhawks, with KU basketball representing 90% of his existence on this planet, and his wife, child, and dog sharing the other 10%. He admits that it appears to others that he has a huge problem, but to Josh, this is not a problem. To him, there is no other way to live. So in 2010, when the original rules of basketball went up for auction, Josh and his Kansas basketball tattooed shoulder wanted to be like Moses and bring the rules of basketball, the Ten Commandments of basketball, back to his people in Lawrence, Kansas, where James Naismith, the inventor of basketball, lived for 41 years, where James Naismith coached his first and only collegiate basketball team, where the basketball arena sits on Naismith Drive, and where James Naismith's name is on the basketball court. I hope you enjoy learning from Josh Swade today, because I certainly did. Josh, I'm so excited to talk with you today. You directed one of my all-time favorite documentaries, and you are possibly, and I would say actually probably, the greatest Kansas Jayhawk fan ever. For example, when you took your wife to Lawrence, Kansas for the first time, you took her to the basketball arena. Not to a game, but just to the empty arena, but that's just the beginning. Several years ago, you decided you wanted to win the rules of basketball at auction and bring them back to Lawrence, Kansas. How did you ever get that idea? Um, You know, it was pretty uh, organic. I I was back then people read the paper and I was reading the New York Times and there was an article about the, the rules of basketball, the original rules of basketball coming up for auction at Sotheby's, um, which is a iconic auction house here in New York where I live and it actually happens to only be 10 blocks from from my house so going down there was pretty easy for me and once I went down there they had a preview as they often do with high profile auctions once I actually walked into Sotheby's and saw the display and sort of backed up and kind of took stock in how important um this document was I I started to formulate a plan you know so In this documentary that I hope everybody goes and watches after this interview, if they haven't seen it already, which many people listening will have already seen it, uh, you say you felt a little bit like Moses. (laughs) Yeah, you know, um, I'm kind of a ridiculous person. And so, (laughs) especially back then. And, um, you know, I, I think I had a lot of fun with like the just the absurdity, the religious comparisons, just like I'm doing this for my, for my people. No one outside of kind of Jayhawk nation probably understands how much pride we take in the history of Kansas basketball Um, in Kansas city in Kansas and Lawrence, especially people very much get that. And so I kind of didn't care about anyone, but those folks, you know, these are my people and I want to do this for them. So that's kind of where the Moses comparison comes in. And how much time did you have? Like this, this isn't, you know, so you, you want to get this done, yeah. but it's not like you've got six months or a year to make this happen. No. So from the, uh, from the moment I read the article, it was a little less than six weeks, but I didn't actually get out into the, the world and start traveling to get in front of people 
till about a little less than four weeks before the auction. Yeah, incredible. So what inside you made you believe that you can get this done, especially, you know, we're looking at like four weeks. You know, um, I'm not so sure that I thought about the end result so much. I think that I had this passion to try and get people excited about what I was excited about. And I didn't think there was any harm in trying to share my enthusiasm with folks. Um, it seemed like a, a really unbelievable opportunity to, um, to not miss for, for the history of Kansas and just knowing what this could mean, you know, long-term. I, I, I definitely saw that this was bigger than this, this month or bigger than what I'm trying to do. This could really impact um, our program for a really long time. And I just thought, gosh, if I can get out there and, and be as crazy passionate as possible, you never know, you never know what might happen. And I think a lot of times when you just take that first step, good things tend to happen um, for you. And and at the time, did you have any sense for what the rules would sell for? I had no clue. You could have told me, I mean, I thought they'd go for a lot, you know, because it's after all the rules about the original rules of basketball. So I, I was certain, I think we all were very sure it would be a seven figure sum, but could it have been 2 million? Could it have been 7 million? You know, Nothing would have shocked me, quite frankly. Yeah. What I love about this whole story is, you know, many fans, you know, we all feel like we help the team, you know, we cheer and we pay tickets and maybe you're part of the booster club, but your vision and your ability to see the big picture of like, you get the original rules of basketball to Kansas to where James Naismith started the first basketball program here at Kansas. What does that do long-term? Well, that is the most iconic thing every recruit that comes to Kansas could ever hope to see. And now they're there in Kansas. And so you as, and that's why, you know, I, I call you, you know, let's not even, let's just call you the greatest fan in Kansas basketball history because you're actually making an impact. And while we're, while we're talking about this, let's just congratulate you in part for the, the reason national championship as well. Let's, let's continue with being ridiculous and over the top, but not entirely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I, the truth is what makes Kansas basketball great, you know, outside of great players and great coaches is a great fan base, right? So, you know, people who show up every game and, and go nuts and, and cheer on the team are impacting the success of the program, obviously. Um, I suppose you could say I took it a step further by um, saying, you know what, I'll be the one to lead this charge and I'll be kind of ridiculous doing so. Like sometimes. I think people are afraid that they're going to look a certain way when doing something and that stops them from doing it. And I guess in this particular case, I was like, you know what, I'll be the, I'll be that guy just because I feel so passionate. I mean, it really just was about my love of Kansas basketball and the history, like the rules to me. Yeah. It's a, a great thing for recruits who come visit the, the school, but it, it's also, it's like bringing the Naismith story full circle. And I'm a storyteller. I love, I love storytelling. And it, it not only puts a period on the end of the Naismith sentence, metaphorically speaking, but it also continues that story. Yeah. And so 
you know, he's not just buried in Lawrence. We have his rules there and he's intertwined and, and his incredible contribution to the world kind of the heart of it beats from the University of Kansas now and forever. For those people listening who maybe don't understand all of the ties to Lawrence, Kansas, James Naismith, the beginning of basketball, can you just kind of summarize some of those connections? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Naismith invented basketball in December of 1891. Um, about seven years later, he was hired by the University of Kansas to be the, uh, to essentially head up the athletic department, of which there really wasn't one at the time, but also to um, be the head, the head chaplain, the 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 one to lead, you know, prayer uh, at the school. Um, and those were his two roles. When he got to KU, there was no basketball program. Here's the inventor. He thought, well, I'm going to start a program. And that's what he did. And so in 1898, um, you know, KU fielded their first team with Naismith as a coach. And very soon thereafter, um, one of his young players, Fog Allen, uh, you know, played under Naismith, but then really went on to take the ball, metaphorically speaking, from, from Dr. Naismith and, and create you know, this unbelievable program at KU. Okay. So getting back to the, the rules and the auction. So you, you got four weeks, you want to get them to KU. What's your strategy? Well, my strategy was, this is really before social media. I mean, social media existed certainly in 2010, but it wasn't as, uh, you know, part of everyday life back then as it is today. Um, so it was not really about social media. It, my my game plan was, hey, who can really write a big check? You know, who can make a difference here? And who's shown a track record of placing Kansas basketball at the top of their giving list, right? And once you ask those questions from a target perspective, you're you're able to narrow it down to a few a few folks, um, which is no certainly no guarantee that. Um, you can get in front of those people or that they they want to pitch in. When I began, I, I thought that perhaps we could put together a consortium of people, you know, some of these top level um, boosters who love KU, they'll come in together, they'll pool some money and we'll, we'll show up to the auction and give it our best shot, right? Like that was kind of the goal. Um, and I got in front of a lot of those folks and they were all incredible people who've done unbelievable, amazing things for KU. Um, at the end of the day, though, I think David Booth, you know, understood like me, um, what was at stake? He, he really, I think, was very quickly able to realize this is a chance if this, you know, never mind this crazy guy in front of me being me. <laughs> Like, forget him and forget the documentary, all that stuff this is really important. And so after a lot of kind of back and forth and running around and me trying to get people to kind of suggest why it was so important, I think at the end of the day, once the smoke cleared, this guy just simply on his own made a decision. And it's a decision that we all should be indebted or we all are indebted two and four, you know, for the rest of time, really. So I, one thing I love about the way you went about this is you show up at uh, some of these donors. So Dana Anderson, yeah. and you show up at his house and you're like, Hey, we're doing a documentary 
on right. trying to get the rules of basketball. Yeah. How did that idea hit you? Because if you show up and you say, Hey, can I have, you know, several million dollars for the rules? That's a, that's a way harder sell than, Hey, we're doing a documentary, or at least it just feels so much more okay. reasonable. You know, look, I, I think, um, it's like at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I wasn't there to, um, put anyone on the spot or do something for my own sake. It was all for the program. And in my mind, I was able to justify that mean to that end, you know, the end of that mean or the means to that end. Right. Um, and, and so, yes, I did enter into these, uh, conversations with a bit of a, you know, um, not being fully transparent. And, you know, I, I, there's part of me that, that felt guilty about that and, and still does, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, being, uh, having a strong kind of, you know, moral, uh, fiber to you is really important in, in the world. And so, it just felt like my only chance. And at the end of the day, I had to kind of raise or, or, or kind of weigh the pros and cons of that approach. And I think at the end of the day, it was the right call. You know, one of the phrases I like is, you know, it's important to be clever, but you don't want to be too clever, right? And one of my favorite moments of the documentary is you're visiting with uh, Stuart Haresh. And, you know, you talk about, you know, you're doing the documentary, you're trying to raise the money. And Stuart says, well, you know, this is, this is cool. You know, my, my wife likes to donate to like, children's causes right. <laughs> which uh, is so funny um but you're on a mission yeah you meet with david booth okay so one of the you know great kansas donors grew up in lawrence kansas the chicago business school is named after booth of course the kansas football stadium is named after booth uh and and he's excited about it but then he kind of maybe loses some excitement and I, and I can't remember if it was before that or in between when you started meeting with other people like Larry Brown and Roy Williams, like at what point did you think that it would be important to get in front of them? And, and, and then also with uh, Mark Allen as well. Totally. So um, I think one of the great lessons to take from, from this project is that sometimes you need, you need people to help you get your message across. You know, it's good to have passion and it's good to um, have a really clean, direct message and goal. But I felt in this instance that if I could get some of these KU legends to sort of back up what I saw and how important I thought this was, um, that would do a lot of the work for me because, hey, these guys are Hall of Famers. They're really important people to the, the history of Kansas basketball. Um, and the other thing that I thought was, I just need to make as much noise as possible. How do I spread the word out there about what I'm doing, because like I said, social media wasn't much of an avenue to do that yet. And um, when I got to Kansas City, you know, I, I hit up the local uh, newspaper. They did a quick little hit on me. Um, a local sports radio show, radio, you know, gentleman who's no longer on the air there said, hey, why don't you come on our show and tell folks in Kansas City what you're doing? I said, yeah, please help me. And I want to get the word out here. I, I go on that show and um, uh, Louise Allen, Lou Allen, uh, the wife of Dr. Mark Allen, hears me on this radio mm -hmm. show, sends me an email, 
I immediately show up to her house because who better than the Allen family to sort of get behind what I'm doing. Fog Allen's descendant. Exactly. Fog Allen's grandson. They're totally on board. They believe in the cause. And at some point, basically what happened is, you know, I got the sense that, 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 that David wasn't as gung ho because, you know, there were some questions circulate, you know, circulating about, you know, copies of the rules and these photostatic copies that, that fog had made years prior that had come up at other auctions, auction houses. And there was just a lot of, um, you know, a lack of clarity around the situation. So it was getting the Allen family involved. It was getting some of those KU legends involved. And it was also going back to Sotheby's and sitting down with um, the two chief auction experts, um, Leela Dunbar and Selby Kiefer. And me really, and then being fully uh, agreeable to do this on video and tell me why these are without question, the rules that hung in the gym the day Naismith invented basketball. After all, it is Sotheby's, you know, they have a long track record. So doing all of those things kind of started to answer some of the questions that I think David had. And it, it was really, you know, a critical piece to the puzzle. You know, I think getting the legendary coaches, Larry Brown and Roy Williams on camera talking about KU basketball, where they had both had such great legendary careers. So uh, with the help of Sotheby's and the Allens, basically you get Bill Self's endorsement. That's right. This And this came, you know, just prior to the auction because KU didn't have an athletic director at the time. So um, from a, from an access standpoint, I, I couldn't, I couldn't get the coach. And um, once Mark, Dr. Mark Allen got involved he was able to get the coach, coach self. And then coach self and Booth spoke. And I think that was really the icing on the cake. You know, once, once we had uh, coach self backing up everything everyone else said, I think that lit a fire under David that was basically un, undeniable, you know? Okay. So you get to the auction and the bidding starts. Do you remember we roughly kind of where the bidding started and, and how you're feeling and, and what that moment is like? So this is where um, my memory isn't great because I actually haven't watched it since it, it came out on television all those years ago. But um, it really quickly jumped up past, you know, a million dollars. I mean, very quickly, we were into the one and a half million dollar range, if I'm not mistaken. And I just remember being in that room unable, like... It was so nerve wracking and me not having a sense of um, kind of where Mr. Booth was willing to go with it all. And that's even, I think, more nerve wracking because you have, you know, you have no control over the situation. Um, however, once he kind of started going, you know, you kind of get a little bit more confidence because the the sense is, well, he he's in this to win to win. And Having said that, it was still gruel. I mean, I've never experienced anything. I've been in the room when my my kids are born. That doesn't, you know, that pales in comparison to this, right? <laughs> um, and it was just like an out-of-body experience, the likes of which I've never had before or since. You know, it was unbelievable. Truly the unbelievable. Doc the documentary captures your emotion and you can see your face. And 
the bidding now now it's past two million and three yeah. million, and you just can't even watch. You're covering your face, and and we find out after the fact that the competitor is Rubenstein, David right. Rubenstein, a Duke fan. That's right. That's I mean, right. could you could you imagine if you would have lost out to Duke? No, and the the crazy thing is, um, when we sat down with with David Rubenstein after uh, after David Booth had won, um, he said that you know he he had a, he could sense the other person you know really wanted to win this, and at some point, um it was getting a little, a little to be a little too much for him, but so he was going to house them at Duke, but then his plan was to have them, I think, you know, tour, go around the country, perhaps the world, um, you know, and live in some other places. So people could could go and visit them at least, you know, that's what he said in person, but no, I mean, to answer your question, it's, it's kind of like, it would have just been absolutely devastating. (laughs) I I mean, I, you know, I'm not, I, I think we all would have moved on and it's like, oh, okay, here comes a rich Duke guy kind of uh, trying to claim, you know, they they sort of invented basketball, so to speak, you know, and we all would have rolled our eyes and I would have been hugely, enormously devastated. Um, but it didn't, you know, luckily it didn't, we didn't live to see that. One of my favorite moments of the documentary, I believe you're in Cameron Indoor and you say something like, God, we hate, everybody hates Duke or something like that. <laughs> I can't remember the exact language, but. I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the crazy thing is like, that's all like we caught wind of, um, of some Duke interest. Although you heard that about a lot of different possible parties leading up to the auction. Um, when I went to visit Roy Williams in, in Chapel Hill, after the interview, we thought, well, let's just mosey on down the road to, to Cameron Indoor, we walked in and just walked in and kind of checked it out. And that's where we filmed that scene. Um, yeah, I mean, Duke, you know, like became in the 90s, right? Like, and a lot of it's due to their success. Um, the sort of uh, the team you love to hate and to lose to them in terms of something that speaks to our heritage and our legacy, you know, it just, it, it would have been for me unfathomable, you know. So in the documentary, you're covering your face. The bidding is going up and up and up. And now it's up to 3.8 million. Yeah. And what, what happens? You know, um, I'll let you tell give, the story. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got to give David so much credit from a, from a uh, suspense and a storytelling standpoint, his willingness to hang in there be cool, calm, collected, and, you know, um, not feel pressured by, you know, the auctioneer, the liaison on the phone, um, and just do what he wanted to do, I I think was unbelievable to, to you know, to listen to and eventually to bear witness to, um, because I wasn't watching at the time. You know, he he just, he did what he felt he had to do. Um, and, you know, at 3.8, he puts that final bid in, we win. And with the buyer's premium, you know, it's worth noting that brought the total amount up to, I believe, 4.3 and change, which is 
unbelievable. I mean, when you stop to think about it and, uh, and it was just, uh, gosh, I can't, it really felt like winning a national championship. You know, it was that sense of elation. Um, that's really the only thing I can compare it to. And and being down, you know, it's like you're, you're down 20 at half and then coming back to win. And then, and you and David hug. (laughs) Yeah. I I hugged him twice. Um, yeah, I mean, I just, I, I wanted to, uh, there's not a whole lot you can do in a situation like that to show your gratitude, I guess, other than hug. <laughs> and, you know, I think, um, you know, uh, the, the, these crazy circumstances brought us together uh, in that room at that moment. And yeah, it's it's just something I'll never, I'll never forget. I mean, it, it's an unbelievable um, story and it's all true. Um, and yeah, I, I think those things kind of line up very infrequently in this world, but, but, you know, it does go to show, I mean, this stuff sounds cliche, but like, if you really truly feel so strongly about something in your, in your bones and you're willing to just like put one foot after the next, you never know what might happen. It's just such a reminder of that. Yeah, it's so inspiring. And and uh, I was going to ask you, you know, if there are any other kind of lessons you wanted to pass along. And, and you've already you've already shared a couple, but as you know, the theme of this podcast is, you know, simple, practical, underappreciated lessons. So as we wrap up, is there anything else that comes to mind in terms of lessons you've learned that are simple, practical, underappreciated that you'd most like to pass along to others? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of times, um, People put pressure on themselves in these situations or in in situations where maybe they want to start a business or be an entrepreneur or um, anything maybe that uh, there's some fear where fear plays a role. And I do that. I do this, too, where you feel like you have to be perfect. And I think one thing that going through that showed me is it's okay to uh, be vulnerable. It's okay to have fear. Um, The most important thing is to show up. And that has, that has played true for me time and time again in my life. And it's a really simple idea, but I think it's, it stops a lot of people from, from going after their own rules, you know, and so I'd just like to say, like, you, you know, go after your own rules, whatever those are. And you don't need to be, you know, anything other than yourself. And it's okay not to have all the answers. Just give it a shot, you know. Well, the reason the documentary is one of my all-time favorites is because I feel like that message comes across. Like, it is so inspiring. I mean, it's suspenseful. It's hilarious. My wife and I were just laughing out loud all throughout. You know, you're just such an incredible character throughout the documentary. You get a real sense of who you are. You know, you're vulnerable. Like you're showing yourself, you know, when one of the potential suitors says no, you talk about, you know, you go to the Raiders of the Lost Ark reference. And so your personality comes through. Of course, like I said, it's suspenseful. It's moving. Uh, The documentary is titled No Place Like Home. So I hope everybody goes and watches it just to really appreciate uh, how amazing that story is. And and then 
you know, I think it just demonstrates that lesson that you shared so well. So uh, I'm just so grateful I got to chat with you today. Josh Swade, the greatest fan in the history of Kansas basketball. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, but I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It was great. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. When David Booth won the auction for the rules of basketball, it set the world record for the highest price ever paid for sports memorabilia. And it never would have happened without Josh Swade. At the end of Josh's documentary, the legendary Kansas coach Bill Self says the following, Nobody gets anything done unless they're a little nutty, unless they have great energy and great enthusiasm. What a perfect description of Josh Swade and the lessons he shared. First, if you really, truly feel so strongly about something in your bones and you're willing to just put one foot after the next, you never know what might happen. Josh was ridiculous, but he didn't care. And because of it, he was able to win the rules of basketball at auction. Second, sometimes you need other people to help you get your message across. It's good to have passion, and it's good to have a clean, direct message and goal. But Josh really started making progress when he got the support of KU legends Larry Brown and Roy Williams. Then Josh got the support of Fog Allen's grandson, David Allen, who in turn was able to get the support of Bill Self and David Booth. With the help of all those people, Josh was able to win the rules. Finally, it's okay to be vulnerable and fly around the country chasing a dream. It's okay to have fear that you'll show up to the auction and lose. But the most important thing is to show up. It's a simple idea, but sadly it stops people from going after their own rules. In the words of Josh Swade, if you don't give it everything you have, you never know the sheer thrill that is victory or the disappointment that is defeat. Go after your own rules. You don't have to be anything other than yourself. Just give it a shot. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. Nate Mickle here with three quick requests. First, if you would like a quick summary of these lessons delivered to your inbox, sign up for Nate's Notes at natemickle.com. Second, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. And finally, if you'd give this podcast a five-star review on Apple iTunes, I would really appreciate it. Thanks for your support.